0: So this week we're going to continue in uh, investing who comes next. And in his book uh, on intentional faith, Alan is writing about this. He says he had a, a staff member uh, that worked on his staff and he went to him and they were trying to look up a number, find some business. And he said, well, well, just look it up in the yellow pages, right? Y'all know what the yellow pages is, right? It's this book. It's called that because it has yellow paper and it's got businesses and phone numbers on it, right? Any of y'all use one of these before? How many of you have one of these at home? Yeah, when we uh, when I said I'd like to have one, you know, to put, you know, show up and, and you know use it as a visual and all that, and and no one had one in their house, so we searched through the office and we found this old Cedar Park one in the office to use this morning, and you can imagine Alan's young staff member kind of looked at him with this kind of blank expression. What what what, what are yellow pages? He didn't, he didn't know what this was, and Alan says, Oh well, he says. If you don't know what yellow pages are, do you know what a phone booth is? (laughs) And the young man looked blank again. I mean, do you all know what a phone, do you all know any phone booths? Anybody use a phone booth? Anybody know where one is currently, where you can find one? Yeah, there's there's a couple of them around. You know, when you use a phone booth, do you know how to make the phone work? (laughs) What do you have to put in the phone to make it work? Money, yeah, you got to put money in there, right? And and usually change, right? Dimes and quarters and that's... Anybody carry change around with you anymore? (laughs) You're out of luck. Yeah, some of the new ones actually use cards, right? To swipe and and go in there. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and an interesting thing is, you know, Phone booths used to be common, now they're going away. Yellow pages used to go to everyone's house, now they're going away. Have you seen the videos online of somebody who's never used one before trying to figure out how to work a rotary dial phone? They're trying to push it, right? Not turn it, but push. Or they pick up the handset and they're looking at it going, I don't, I don't know what to do with this, right? Isn't it fascinating? The things that one generation uses and takes for granted are forgotten so easily by the next let's pray father we give you thanks you gather us here this morning open us up to what you want to say to us today open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to you may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight for you are our rock and our redeemer amen now, in all fairness, I have to say, we are, we are not the first ones to realize that it's really easy to lose information from one generation to the next. Going back a couple of thousand years, God is speaking to his people as they're coming into the promised land and speaks to them through Moses, when the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you, a land with large flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. That's a fascinating kind of I didn't think that they could forget. I mean, God has brought them out of the land of Egypt. He's overcome Pharaoh's army, brought them through the Red Sea. He's led them through the desert in this pillar of fire and smoke. He's provided food for them in the manna and the quail. For 40 years, God has led his people through the wilderness. And we're now on the second generation of Israelites. The first generation that came out of Egypt has passed away. We're on the group that grew up seeing these amazing things that God did. This was part of their, their growing up, what they've seen from the time of their birth. They've seen God doing these amazing things. And they're going to go into the promised land where all of these things are already built. And they're going to be provided to them. And God has to say to them, don't forget me. Don't forget me. And how easy it is for us to do exactly that. I mean, I grew up in the, the 60s and 70s when a generation of parents all assumed that everybody knew what it meant to be a Christian. And that everybody was going to church somewhere. And so they took all that for granted. And then my generation came along and so many of us forgot. Among those of us who, who did not forget, we followed our parents' model Of assuming that everyone was Christian and knew what that meant. And our children forgot. And now we live in the midst of a culture dominated by the nuns. No religious affiliation. Because they've come into the promised land and have forgotten the Lord. Because no one taught them. So before that word of warning from God, he sends this word of instruction to his people. These are the commands, decrees, and laws. The Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel. Israel. And be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And then he launches into what is called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. These words of remembrance. Have them on your hearts and and impress them. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're sitting at home or when you're walking somewhere, when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night. Constantly, constantly, constantly. Share your faith with the next generation. And the power of that, if you uh, go to, even today, go to an Orthodox or a conservative Jewish home, uh, there will be by the door a little kind of box you'll see. It's called a mezuzah. And in it, there's a little scroll with these words written on it. And you'll watch as they go in and out and they'll touch it. And sometimes they'll kiss their hand and touch it. Just as a reminder. Yeah, we're going out and we're remembering these words. We're coming in and we're remembering these words. Pass faith from one generation to the next is a constant effort of investing in those who come next to pass the faith on. And when we fail to do that, it is so easy for us to forget. In my early years as a teenager... There were people who invested in me uh, in the church I was in. And I was at that kind of point where I was making decisions, and some of them fairly critical decisions in my case, and, uh, and making some of them very poorly and, and making bad decisions. And there was a group of people in First Methodist Corpus Christi that were around me and gathered around me and stayed with me and, and loved me and worked on me and invested in me. So that many years later when I decided to go into ministry, uh, I thought back on that and realized that, that those were the people Uh, at that point in time that that really kind of saved my life, put it mildly. And and I thought, I want to do the same. So the first years of my ministry were doing youth ministry and pouring back into young people because I knew what a difference it had made in my life and I wanted to do that for someone else. After I'd been doing that for a number of years, my wife came to me and said, you know, you're always gone because one of the hard things is that Church work oftentimes demands the same thing times as family time, and particularly in youth ministry, it demands a lot of those times. And she says, if we want to start a family, I don't want to be a single parent, so I want you to be home more. And so I shifted from doing youth ministry to, to leading a congregation so that I would be more available as we began raising our family. We were aware that for... Uh, Church families, clergy families, uh, sometimes investing and in raising our children and, and passing the faith on to them is, is a greater challenge because we are so often called to be with the church at moments when the family wants us with them. And there's a reason PKs are sometimes have this kind of reputation, being a little rough and rowdy, because they kind of come to see the church as a competitor for their parents' attention and affection. And parents oftentimes come home and are tired and don't have the energy to invest in their children. And so Cindy and I talked about how how do you do that and how are we going to manage that and and tried to work on that and and did a mediocre job with it. we wanted our children to see us pray. We wanted our children to see us do devotions. We knew our children would be with us in worship, and we tried to include them in events at the church so that, that as we were leading those kinds of things, they were part of that. As they got older, we went with them to, to camps, and we went with them on mission trips so that they could see that and understand that, that when we talked about sacrificing and living out our faith, it was more than just talk. It even went so far at one point of of me sitting down on the computer and saying, okay, let me show you how we're spending our money so they would understand what those sacrifices look like. But, you know, looking back on that, we recognized that there were a lot of things that we probably didn't do as well as we should have. We just did the best we could. One of the underlying principles in all of that was something we learned early on, which is are you trying to be a good parent or a responsible parent? You know, the good parent does everything so that whatever their kid does, it makes them look good. Right? It's about me looking good. Responsible parent works in ways to try to say, we want our child to grow up to be responsible and have integrity and be self-sufficient and strong in their faith. And, you know, those two sometimes are, are, are hard to do. I mean, it's, it's challenging enough. I mean, there's times when your kid's walking out the door and you're going, oh, you're not going to wear that, are you? Oh, jeez. I mean, there's times that they do things and you go, oh, 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 but you, you, know, you kind of have to give it some room and, and, and let their colleagues, let their, their, their friends tell them, oh, my gosh, you're not going to wear that, <laughs> right, instead of you doing it. But the constant effort to try to help them learn as they're going through that and learn to be on their own, and be on their own two feet and stand on their own and and make decisions of faith. And sometimes one of the hard things is, is in the midst of that, especially if you're the pastor, is your children may have to, for a while, worship with another faith community too. Because sometimes it's hard to form your own faith when you're always in your parents' church. And as much as sometimes that felt like a a personal rejection, to me, it was important for them to have the ability to develop their faith that way. And we got to a certain point where, you know, they, they, they grew and they got older and they went off to school and they began to develop into these amazing uh, young people, young men and women that we have. Uh, and, and then they, they went even further abroad and they went to other kinds of places, places beyond kind of where we imagine where they went to learn and, and to kind of understand what it looked like to do church in very different environments and, and to lead church in very different environments. And they came home and began to teach us things about what it meant to be followers of Christ. And Cindy and I said, golly, you know, we did the best we could, but we didn't didn't do that good. (laughs) Ask my kids. They can tell you. Just ask them, "Uh, where did they mess up? They'll tell you all the places we didn't. Where are the places that you lost your temper with them when you shouldn't have or didn't listen when you should have listened or didn't pay attention to them where you should have paid attention to them? One of the graces that God gave Cindy and I was to understand that the first piece of it was for us to keep our marriage strong because that was the first thing we were going to model for him. So we worked on that. And one of the things we discovered in that is it's really nice to have two of you because that way when you're not doing it well, the other parent can say, okay, it's time for you to step back. <laughs> Let, I got this. You, you go out of the room now, you know, or it's time for you to be quiet, right? Sometimes we need each other's help. But thinking back over all of that and, and what, looking who our children became, you know, one of the things we became intensely aware of was that there was so much more there than what we poured into them. And we, we understood that God had been working powerfully in them and that God had surrounded them with amazing communities of faith that had poured into them. From Corpus Christi to Lano to Seguin to here. We knew that God had surrounded them with an amazing community of faith, of people that had poured into them and had vested in them. And God's blessing had been poured out on them through all those other folks. Just like God's blessing is still being poured out now in, in, in things like, you know, kids' Sunday school or, you know, kids' VBS, going to MYF and worshiping or being in small groups in MYF. God found ways through, through the people around them in the, our communities of faith to bless them. Now, it's that old saying, right? It, it takes a village to, to raise a child, that old proverb. It takes a faith community. It takes a faith community investing in our, our young men and women to help them become the young men and women God calls them to be. So we, we have been blessed with our kids to see that happen and, and to watch them as they, as they grow and they marry a, 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 amazing men and women as their partners in life and, and begin to move into life in, in these wonderful kinds of ways that constantly amaze us and that we're in wonder of. And, and my challenge to you and Alan's challenge to you this morning is, is how is it that, that you're investing? How is it that you are investing in the next generation? Not just your own kids, But the the other young men and women in in the community. And how are you pouring that out? One of the couples in this church that has has invested in their family and also in the, the students in this congregation is Chris and Kathy White. And I asked them to do a little video here, so I'm going to let them speak for a few minutes. Hi, my name is Chris
1: White, and this is my wife, Kathy. We've been attending Bethany now for about 20 years. We've got four kids, two sets of twins. Our youngest two, James and Mary Catherine, are going to be going into ninth grade next year. Our older two, Connor and Olivia, just graduated high school this weekend. So it's fitting that Tom asked us to be able to talk about how we've been sharing Jesus with the next generation.
2: As parents, let's make it clear that we're not perfect. The kids would have a long list of grievances if you asked. Uh, but when we were raising them we knew that we wanted to model god honoring behavior that included saying i'm sorry um, extending forgiveness uh, praying for bullies and uh and seeking the lord for guidance and it's that guidance part where chris and i were were learning right along with them so one of the examples we wanted to share was when connor and olivia were going into fourth grade james and mary Catherine were about to enter kindergarten and i had survived the early years and we were I, i was like okay god what's next and his answer put Connor and Olivia in a private two day a week Christian Academy and homeschool them the other days. And I was like, what? And my expectation was that God was going to use me and possibly in a nonprofit, but this was, this was not my vision. He had different plans. So I let, I set aside my plans and became a part-time homeschooling mom. And I was all in. It took me a while. I was all in if it meant that they would grow up to love the Lord.
1: Yeah, so a year into Kathy's co-teaching role, I felt a nudge to get involved with Bethany's middle schoolers. Connor and Livy were still in fifth grade, but I started teaching sixth graders in Sunday School, MYF, and volunteering on mission trips. I consistently showed up, and I advanced each year with that same class. So as they got older, I was able to be there for some of them when times got rough, helping them to find God even in the really difficult situations last year, uh, that Sunday school class graduated and I'm grateful I was able to walk alongside of them. But back when Connor and Olivia became sixth graders and they were able to join youth, we hit a big barrier. You see, we lived out in Lago Vista, about 30 minutes away from Bethany. We had built this custom home and we had lived in it for 10 years. We loved this place. It was five acres, we had a panoramic view of the hill country. This was my forever home. I would tell people I plan on being buried in that house's backyard. And while we were excited about the opportunity for Connor and Liv to get really involved in Bethany Youth, we quickly realized just how hard it was gonna be. It became a logistical nightmare for us to juggle getting all four kids from Lago to Bethany or wherever they were supposed to be. And we started realizing that we were gonna have to choose between Bethany Youth and our Lago house. Now, in the end, God knew that we needed an extra push. So he used Olivia, my sweet 11-year-old daughter, that fall, someone asked her where we lived, and her answer was, "Well, our house is in Lago Vista, but we live in the car." So over Thanksgiving, we put our dream house on the altar and started a house search.
2: Yeah, and God provided. It was it happened really quickly. We found a house uh, in Cedar Park right around the corner from Chris's parents. And we used the big backyard that came along with it to host Bethany uh, pool parties for the last seven years and different youth events. And now here we are, Connor and Olivia are retiring from being youth leaders. And they've each chosen a Christian university to further and deepen their faith in the Lord.
1: So if you'd told me 18 years ago about how it was all going to go, I wouldn't have believed you. As we look back, each big decision involved a sacrifice, but that sacrifice was about us letting go of our own plans. And following his lead. I didn't understand at the time why God was asking us to do things differently, but after, reason, but after raising teenagers and mentoring a bunch of youth, I get it. The normal world is incredibly hard for kids. With pop culture and social media, being a Christian kid is increasingly unpopular. We have to be incredibly intentional about making sure our kids know their true identity, that they are children of God.
2: As our kids leave home, we're releasing them knowing that we have tried our best to share our faith in, in such a way that it's attractive to them. And it's not just so that they grow up to be disciples, but disciple makers.
0: Amen. Yeah. So you heard, they, they invested not in their own, just in their own children, but also in all of our children, too. And we have been blessed to see the results of that. So this morning, I'm asking you to consider, pray, discern where God might be calling you to invest in who comes next. Now A couple of needs have been lifted up to me Uh, in kids' ministry, which is birth through fifth grade. We are in particular need of VBS volunteers. We need Sunday school and kids' worship volunteers, and we need people to serve on their prayer team. And I will tell you about VBS volunteers. We we have kids on the waiting list for VBS that we will not be able to to allow in unless we receive more help with the volunteers. So there's a direct connection between the number of volunteers we have and the number of of kids who can participate in VBS. And then in student ministry, which is 6th grade through 12th grade, we need mentors for Wednesday night homework and hangout, Sunday night NYF volunteers, Sunday morning Sunday school volunteers, as well, again, as people for the prayer team. As you think about that and pray about it, if you want more information or you know what you already want to do, uh, and the, as you leave this morning in the gathering area, Chris Cutler, our Director of Student Ministry, and Alyssa Carter, our Director of Kids Ministry, will be available, and you can speak with them and talk to them and share with them and ask questions, uh, volunteer, whatever, whatever you need to do, They're, they are there and ready to be available to you. And this is, uh, this is how we pour out the faith on the next generation. Uh, So that it's not just something we take for granted and then gets forgotten. Uh, Back in Numbers in the 6th chapter, there's something called the Aaronic uh, blessing. Uh, It's Aaron's blessing. And uh, in that, uh, the Lord uh, tells Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you the lord turn his face toward you and give you peace so they will put my name on the israelites and i will bless them and i want you to notice in that it's not it's Aaron and his sons it's this is to be a generational kind of blessing to be passed on And to this day even, this blessing is still repeated among the people of the Hebrews. They pass this blessing on to each other as a way of giving God's blessing to them. And when I was growing up, that blessing was what we knew as the MYF benediction. And every Sunday night when our group would close... We would say this blessing upon one another. And if you go now on a Sunday night uh, to the youth gathering, student gathering, uh, when they end that evening, they will pass this blessing on uh, each other as they get ready to leave. It's it's one of the ways that God has given us to pass blessing from generation to generation to generation. And at the end of the service, we're going to use this as the benediction today. So I want to ask you to... Lean into this, pray into this, discern in this. Ask God what he is leading you to do so that, that you can pass God's blessing on from your generation to the next generation. Where is call, God calling you to invest in who comes next? Let's pray. Mighty God, we give you thanks for the blessing you pour out on our lives. For all the times that we see uh, the goodness of, of your love and your mercy at work, we see the power of your hand at work for all of the ways in which we find your blessing coming to fruit in the midst of us. And we come this morning with open minds and hearts and spirits. We ask where you are calling us to go. That the blessing that you have poured out upon us, we might pour out on those who come next. We ask your leading in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.